Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's US Open quarterfinal catch-up, TFO sends Rafa packing, Garcia's renaissance continues, and Kyrgios crashes out to Kachanov. Chris, today is the 7th of September. We are here to catch up on the quarterfinal action at Tennis Weekly HQ. Um, we have been left in charge again, unsupervised, uh, without Joel, who is still away in Spain, busy working hard in uh, the Spanish sun. Uh, but we can't have done too bad a job the other day because he's he's let us uh, he's let us do another pod together. I so, know. Uh, how are you doing today? You uh you doing all right this this Wednesday night? I'm all good. I'm all good. Uh, it's timed quite nicely for us. We've just seen the completion of um, Rublev TFO. So looking forward to unpacking that one. But everything good this side. I think that Joel has put a lot of trust in us. And I'm not sure he would have done if he was in the country. But we have not made a mess of it. And that's all we can ask for. Don't speak too oh, soon. Oh, I know. I should have said that. Downhill from here. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, let's just reflect quickly on the the TFO Rublev match, actually, because it's literally just ended. Three straight sets. TFO's into the semifinals. Uh, Rublev has still not won a quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. He must be thinking, <sighs> what do I have to do to get over that hurdle? My goodness. Um, but yeah, two tie breaks. And then it was 6-4, uh, I think, in that, that third set. So, yeah. TFO absolutely um, fantastic, really, doing it with such style today and just see- seemingly confident and kind of just getting the job done when it mattered. That second set tiebreak he won to love. And that could have been a pivotal moment if Rublev had, had got that set and leveled up the match. This, you know, we'd still be playing and it could very well be a different story, perhaps. But yeah, Francis TFO finally, I want to say coming of age, but. I guess, finally living up to to some of the hype and and potential. I mean, I think he's just so inspired by that Rafa match. I think that was one of those moments when, when have you ever experienced anything like that? And he said it was kind of the best he'd ever played. It was the best moment of his tennis career. It's an incredible story. And you just think with the support of the American crowd, the moment is clearly his. Um, he kind of brushed Rublev uh, aside in that match, which none of us were really expecting. I think we ended the podcast, Kim, not to remind you, we ended thinking this was Rublev's best chance of a semi-final that he's had so far because he's not playing Medvedev. I think he's played him like something like four times in quarterfinals since he's uh, started making them. So TFO, he's the second quarterfinal and he's uh, one from, from two, which is pretty good considering Rublev's record. Yeah, exactly. He knows when to take his opportunities. <laughs> and Rublev once again coming up short when, you know, he really needs to get that extra something, doesn't he, to get over that that sort of that line of, of quarterfinals. So he'll be having to to go back and reflect yet again on what it is that he is he is lacking. It might be the second um, serve, Kim. I was um listening to some of the commentary and it said that he has the biggest differential between his first and second serve. And I thought surely that's Andy Murray, but turns out there's a thirty one mile per hour difference between his first and second serves on average which is um kind of shocking really when you think about it that is quite a lot isn't it that's quite a drop uh, quite a drop off so yeah I think um 
or at least you know at least he knows hopefully he's self-aware maybe he listens to do it's better than not knowing um i'm sure he'll be taking on all the advice um needed but i mean francis tfo as well backing up that win over rafa because a lot of players you know have a big win the win of their life they beat one of the, the greatest of all time they so easily succumb in the next round to whoever it is and they sort of just can't perform at the same level again but TFO's obviously taken that win and it's given him the world of confidence so um you know it's absolutely fantastic and and in that match against Rafa you know we didn't cover the the end of it because we were recording as it was kind of ongoing the other day but you know TFO won that in four sets and uh really you know the win of his life as you said and Rafa I don't think was at his best, like physically or, or mentally, really. So he's going to take a break now. He needs to go back home to Mallorca to fix things that he said. He's not sure when he's going to be ready to come back again. Um, and, you know, you could tell he was being quite tentative as a result of the kind of, you know, rehab after the ab injury he had at Wimbledon. But that's not to take anything away from TFO because he was um, definitely not someone you wanted to be playing fit or or unfit you know TFO was definitely a worthy winner um at the end of that one I think he's putting it together for the first time he's always uh showed so much potential as we've said already but it's always felt like there's the not necessarily an immaturity but there isn't kind of a, a seasoned professionality when it comes to the long matches he quite often gets drawn into them but doesn't often get the result that you think he should probably get or a lot of them seem to go the other way for him. I remember that match against Murray, I think it was in, in Mexico, where, I mean, it was, you thought TFO was going to win it kind of almost throughout. It was super close. I think one of the longest uh, three set matches that there has been on the tour. And he kind of ended up on the wrong side of that. And there's been a history of that. So for him to put it together in New York, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't mind a few of those tight losses during the year if it ends up with, well, you never know, could be his first major. I mean, that would be some surprise because I don't think many people had him down at the start of the tournament because, you know, historically he hasn't really fulfilled his his potential maybe. But, I mean, it seems to be anyone, well, not anyone's game, but it, it is going to be a first-time US Open men's singles champion, isn't there? Oh, and, and women's singles champion, actually. So, on both sides, we're going to have a new US Open champion. Um, and obviously, that's because Rafa lost, but also Marin Cilic lost in the fourth round. Uh, another match that was that was late at night that we didn't cover. Uh, in fact, this match was still going on when I woke up uh, the morning after we recorded. Um, and it was sort of halfway through the, the fifth set. And I thought, Oh, blimey. Um, you don't expect a match to kind of be going on either side of you going to bed and waking up. So it was quite, quite amusing, really. Um, but Carlos Alcaraz coming through 6-3 in the fifth set. So ousting the 2014 champion. Um, one of the one of the latest finishes in tournament history, uh, just shy of four hours. And I mean, Alcaraz was not at his best. That's that's fair to say. Um I don't think he has really been at, at, you know, his best throughout the whole tournament, but he got the job done. He's got Yannick Sinner next, which is going to be the next match uh, taking place. They're due to come on court in about two hours. Um, oh, no, sorry. After the women's match, a couple of hours from now. Um, and Yannick Sinner coming through himself in a five-setter against Ivashka, also not at his best. So, just sort of reflecting on those matches, Chris, where are your thoughts at just before tonight? You know, Sina Alcaraz, they, they've played a few times this year. 
I've had some interesting matches between them. So who's your money on for, for this one? I think it's a tough one to call. Uh, neither of them showed their best form, as you said. I think I was particularly surprised by how Sinner, who'd been playing pretty well in this tournament, seemed to kind of ha- really have that dodgy match. And it's a theme that you'll see in the matches of that we talk about this podcast, that a few people, um, another Italian in particular, also really struggled. And I think it's, I mean, he's very lucky to have got through that. Sinner was down in the fifth set. He was putting in just kind of, I think it was 46% of first serves. Um, and he was kind of played by unforced errors. And so it's something that it's surprising he got through. He's lucky that he put in sort of his worst performance of the tournament against Ivashka rather than a higher ranked player. Um, whereas kind of on Alcaraz's side, he was happy with the fitness he showed and the fact that he was able to show that he could live with someone like Cilic over such a long period. So that sends a good message in that sense. But again, the numbers are pretty poor. He hit 41 unforced errors to 28 winners. Um, and I think it was just three aces for the whole match. So he's not exactly playing the the tennis that we saw at the start of the year, especially on the clay that brought so much success to him. So going into that one, I think it's a pretty level playing field. I think Sinner has the head-to-head edge. I think it's 2-1 and he's won twice this year. So I know you asked me to call it. I'm going to say it's going to go five and whoever is down at the start of the fifth will win it. Oh, down at the start of the fifth. Okay, so coming from a breakdown to yes. So, so you, that's that's still hedging your bets. You're going either way, oh, but okay. you're just predicting more of the scoreline. Yeah. No, no, you, you're allowed okay. to do that. Uh, uh, that's what I'm going with this one. I need to. Okay. I thought if I sow the seeds for that, someone will be down a break at some point, and maybe I won't have to come on and apologise in the next podcast. <laughs> it's right. We don't really have any hard and fast rules for tennis weekly predictions, but um, yeah, I think Alcaraz. I'm just hoping that he's figured out what it is that he needs to do um, against Sinner and using those two matches that they had earlier in the season to kind of work on that, build on that and finally get the win, you know, in the tournament that that does matter the most, obviously the Grand Slam. So um, Alcaraz have still got down as as my champion at the start of the uh, oh, yes. fortnight I had predicted. So I'm I'm sort of hoping that my prediction will come true but I I wouldn't be surprised if Sinner wins because you know he's building this very consistent platform at at Grand Slams now he's he's now the first male player born in the 2000s to reach to have reached at least the quarterfinals at all four slams he'll be hoping to go one further of course or several rounds (laughs) further um but yeah really really um consistent now and he's the youngest person to have got to that point of reaching all four quarterfinals since Djokovic uh, in 2007 to 2008. So quite the feat. Uh, obviously quite, yeah, quite the feat and, and good, very good company there. Um, but yeah, I think what's good about the fact we have this matchup is that it is kind of perhaps alluding to a future rivalry between the two. You know, they're very similar age. They've already played a couple of times. And obviously I think it's, just, it's boding well maybe for the future if they're going to keep coming up against each other in these big occasions and hopefully what we're going to see tonight will be um, a, an occasion that we'd like to see repeated. Hopefully it's going to be maybe a five set thriller. So exactly. Yeah, I mean, remains to be seen. That would be, that would be brilliant. Cause I think their last match, it ended up with Sinner was running away with it. I think it was uh, two, six, one sets, even though it was a three set match. So hopefully this one remains close throughout. But the thing that really surprised me um, when we were looking into this, preparing for this, this episode was that Berrettini, uh 
was the first player born in the 2000s to reach the quarterfinal at All Slams. And what's mad is that he achieved that feat only this year in the Australian Open. So I think it just shows just how impressive uh, what Sinner has done, because it's almost on a par with, you know, the big the big three and what they were able to achieve at such a young age, which Carlos is obviously emulating in lots of ways in terms of Rafa's trajectory. But it does beg the question that sort of the, the generation, or not quite a generation, but those who are kind of four or five years older than them, maybe six years older than them, haven't quite been able to put it together in the way that these these two younger players are. So I think that kind of leads us quite nicely on to two of those players who weren't quite able to to put together the cleanest of performances. What did you make of the Berrettini-Rude match? Oh, well, talking about Berrettini achieving that feat, like you were just mm. saying, um, I think it's the, the the 90s, I think you meant to say, Chris, um, not the noughties. Oh, did I say the noughties Sid- again? Sid- <laughs> You've just uh, shaved 10 years off Berrettini's age. I've got my dobs wrong, haven't I? The dobs are all wrong. <laughs> But we got what you meant. Um, but it's crazy, isn't it, that there were no other players, you know, born in the 90s to um, to have achieved that feat. And then, like, suddenly it just goes to show that this this younger cohort are the ones that are, are they better, you know, making inroads. Maybe, just saying. Could be. Yeah. I, well, I think, yeah, I think so, personally. Um, but also, I guess, luck is on their side with the phasing out of the goats mm. and the, the big four, just time-wise, you know, helps them. Um, but Berrettini who we know very consistent at slams. I was not expecting him to perform so poorly against <laughs> Kasper Ruud, especially not at the start of the match. I mean, he went down 6-1-5-2 in under an hour. Um, he just was not at the races. He got broken several times and, and that's quite difficult, isn't it? When he has a, a fantastic serve, generally very comfortable on serve. You know, he's reached the semi-finals of this tournament before, um, but he was just playing a, a pretty bad match and Kasper was playing a very very good match so uh obviously that that was reflected in the scoreline um and you know Casper Rude, all this talk about him potentially becoming world number one like he's one of the players that could still achieve that at the end of this tournament and that obviously hasn't been getting to him hasn't been affecting his his nerves so far on a tennis court he said he hasn't been thinking about it um obviously it's extra motivation for him but he's just kind of thinking about the match and not obsessing over the possibility of world number one because maybe he's like a bit like us we kind of thought ah that seems a bit far far (laughs) off far-fetched so maybe he was also just not expecting that to be a possibility I mean we had no idea he could be number one did did we Kim we had no idea at the start of this tournament that was a possibility Exactly. So he's probably, he, I think he was the same. Similarly minded. Thought, well, it's unlikely. Yeah, exactly. It's He has to now reach the final um, to, to, well, no, I think he has to reach the final and Alcaraz has to lose before the final. And as long as Rude reaches the final, he's Whoever one wins, one. if, if they, they both... get to the final, is one number one as well. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Winner takes all. I would quite like know, that match to happen, right? <laughs> I think it would just adds take a, the trophy yeah, as the world number one. Adds a bit of cool. extra excitement to it, and it, it means that whoever out of the two of them will be um, a slam a slam winner. Because if Carlos does lose before, or if one of them doesn't win the final, then we might be in a situation where we have a slamless world number one, which kind of puts this whole uh, so the icing on the cake for what is a very unusual year for the ATP when it comes to. And obviously WTA when it comes to ranking points, um, 
and uh, it's been a long time since you've had a slamless number one for for the men, I think. Well, is that true? And Medvedev uh, maybe was no. Is that hmm. um, no? I think did he become world number one before or after he'd won the U.S. Open? I think it was. before, I think it was wasn't before. It? I think I think mm. you're right on that one. So maybe we'll have another one quite quickly. But again, it, it tells you that there's a bit of a a strange thing going on at the top of the, those rankings at the moment. But a lot of people will just blame Wimbledon because, I mean, Djokovic lost all those ranking points yep. from, you know, not being able to... Def- well, he did defend his title, but wasn't able to rankings-wise. Um, but then people will also say, well, Djokovic isn't here to defend his uh, his final points from last year. That's because he's not vaccinated. So it's not just Wimbledon's fault. It's also maybe Djokovic's own fault. And, and that's why we've got this strange situation where Kasper Ruud can suddenly become world number one so it's a whole host of factors yeah i mean one minute kim you're losing to ben shelton in the first round of cincinnati in straight sets (laughs) the next one you're world number one in in atp rankings yeah it just goes to show don't look too much maybe at pre-tournament four yeah i mean (laughs) i've learned that lesson (laughs) caroline garcia proving that pre-tournament form very much should be looked at but casper rude from cincinnati not at all. So yeah, it's it's it is um the, the joys of the sport how different things can uh, you know it's, it means that our predictions have not featured Casper Ruud basically probably because we probably saw that result and thought oh yeah he's not not predicting him to go deep at this one but you know he's reached French Open final and um we know that he's obviously excelled therefore to get to that stage mm-hmm. before of a slam why shouldn't he at this tournament even though. You know, originally, I think, you know, and perhaps still to some extent, he does have that mantle of being more of a clay quarter. Um, I don't think that's relevant. He's obviously very accomplished on a hard court and um, arguably he's going to do better at a hard court slam than a clay court slam, potentially quite soon. I mean, that could happen. Um, and it looks like um, ever since Nick Kyrgios, I think he said that that Casper was only getting ranking points. He was playing all of those sort of 250s in Europe last yeah. year. And he said the similar thing about PCB being a clay court specialist. It's almost like they just, yeah. they're winning to prove him wrong. Exactly. And it would have been quite interesting because Kyrgios' potential draw could have included both PCB and Casper Ruud, both players he's had a bit of, yeah, he said those comments about. Um, <sighs> when in all reality, uh, Kyrgios didn't play PCB. He had to play Karen Hatchinov who who has beaten him um Nick Kyrgios is out and this came as, as some surprise to me when I and I woke up and I saw the scoreline because for me after Rafa went out and I think for a lot of people Kyrgios was seen as oh yeah he's gonna win it now surely like the way he's been playing this this newfound professionalism um but maybe maybe that got to him because he was you know he wasn't at his best wasn't pretty tennis um and yeah, losing 6-4 in the fifth set. I mean, it was a close match, you know, 7-5, 4-6, 7-5, 6-7, 6-4 to Karen Hatchinov. But Nick Kyrgios, I think, is is going to be ruining this opportunity. You know, he said he's he's quite devastated. He knew what an opportunity this was. And, and perhaps that that did get to him. It was a weight on his shoulders thinking, I've got, this is my chance to finally get that slam, which I imagine he realised how much he did want it after the Wimbledon final. So, I mean, do you think that this is a real, a, a real massive missed opportunity? Do you think it did get to him in the end? I think it's a very different situation being kind of the the underdog, the bad boy of tennis in some ways at Wimbledon and coming through to the final and 
giving Djokovic a great game to coming into this slam where people are obviously talking about his form, but suddenly he was the main talking point. And that shifts your thinking. It, it can't not really. And we talked about it on the last episode, that how would he handle it? And I don't think he handled it too well. I think he's talking about his professionalism and we've commented on this throughout the tournament. He's talking about how much he wants it, how much he wants it for his team and how long his uh, team had been away from home. And it feels like that's just adding so much pressure that that he's putting all of the pressure on these on this big tournament. And he said that he kind of has to wait until the Australian Open. But you feel like for him, it's about finding a balance. I'm not sure that kind of the slams are the be all and end all for him. I think it's about also finding a sustainable way of continuing to keep up the, the level he's shown across the last few weeks. And if it is the slams where he's able to peak, that's fantastic. But it seems like there was too much pressure on him to perform for the people around him that he really cares about, as opposed to the pressure of everyone else. But it was, it was an unusual result because none of us really saw it coming and it was on his racket. He just wasn't making those shots that when he went for broke on the last couple of matches he's played that he was making and he did not handle it particularly well, which is obviously not that surprising, but he said credit to Karen because he was a fighter. He's a warrior, but it's felt like he kind of just said that he was outlasted in that match, which isn't giving your opponent that much credit. But I, I'm, I was a bit disappointed if I'm honest, when I saw the result, because I thought that this might be the time when we get to see him sort of really come and shine and, and have that moment. Yeah. It's almost feels a bit of a regression after the Wimbledon final um and maybe you sort of start to question whether he will ever do it um but I mean yeah he's still young this is this is um it's a learning still maybe early early days it's a big learning curve we'll have to see if his newfound professionalism and attitude to the game continues or if he maybe goes a bit off the rails after this disappointment and perhaps I'm I probably sound like I'm being really judgmental about his his character and, and his attitude but I just think that um yeah, I hope that for his sake, he can have a professional response to this disappointment as and well. He didn't take it that well on the night. No, he did do, not on the night. No, he did do an <laughs> iconic feat that I hadn't necessarily seen before, where he smashed not only one racket, he then went into his bag to get another racket to give that one a good go. So I think it's, um, I don't think it was a graceful exit from the tournament, but at least it shows that he cares. Is that what we can take from it? I suppose... That's one way of looking at it rather than thinking, oh, that's just a disrespectful It's pretty disrespectful uh, though, I guess. Wasting <laughs> rackets. But I mean, we, we've seen him do many a racket smash before. Um, I mean, no, like, I think like obviously the focus is on old Kyrgios loss, but we do have to obviously talk about Karen Hatchinov because again, I mean, we've got this semi-final now between Hatchinov and Rude, both of whom didn't have much form coming into the tournament. I mean, Hatchinov lost, I think, first round in Cincy um he also lost early in Washington and just like not great results there's nothing really um to suggest that he was gonna go deep yeah um, there wasn't much into form the, was there into the US Open so it's it's and um, you know I think it's a, a surprising semi-final um he, he, played, he did play that, well though I'd say like he played well in a different way that I've seen from him before Previously, I think when he won Paris and when he first came on the tour, it was about the big hitting, the big shot making. And he played, well, he served very, very well. 
Uh, I think he hit 30 aces, but his movement was the thing that I was most impressed by. I don't think I've ever seen him move that well. I don't think we've ever talked to him as being a fantastic mover, but I think physically he looked very, very fit and he was using the athleticism that he has in a much sort of more effective way than we've seen him in the last couple of weeks. Because, I mean, losing to Seb Corder on Seb Corder's return from injury, from injury in straight sets was just, it, that's obviously a low point and not even being competitive in some of the matches where he's gone out. So again, is this is this it's saying, Kim, that we should rip up the form book? Does this make collector set even harder? It's a lottery. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's... Um... Karen, yeah, like you said, I think the, the form book is just irrelevant sometimes, and it's it's maybe knowing someone's potential and what they they have done. Like you said, he he has won a, a Masters event back in the day. We know on his on his day he has a devastatingly good game, but it's just we haven't seen it very much when it matters from him. So um, going into this, we, we were going with Kyrgios as as the form book um you know as all his performances over the summer would have suggested so um yeah we've been left with a very uh, unexpected perhaps uh semi-final but i think you know with a tournament that doesn't have djokovic in uh a tournament that where rafa's lost early on so has medvedev um this is such a great opportunity now for whoever um goes forth whether that's francis tfo kasper rude karen hatchinov Sinner slash Alcaraz, um, what a you know what a fantastic opportunity, and it's it's going to be you know credit to whoever finally grabs it. And I mean, for me, I kind of feel that I don't know. Out of Sinner and Alcaraz, they're the two that I would have felt would be the first to to claim a Grand Slam. But obviously, out of all of them, Casper Ruud is the most experienced at a grand slam uh so it's yeah it's a it's an interesting uh scenario i suppose um and to to some tennis fans it will be a more interesting scenario than just seeing nadal and djokovic they might be sick of that they might be relishing rude and catching off so you know it's uh the start of, of the new era i suppose well it's definitely an exciting slam i think most people are pretty excited to see what there have been great matches there's great stories the tfo story is fantastic and you look at some of the 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 stories here like the race for number one that's also something that does drum up a lot of excitement and seeing someone atop of the rankings that isn't one of the same people i think that will also be exciting for many so as you say i think it's been a real changing of the guard us open in terms of the presence of the big three being so kind of diminished in this sense here that I think hopefully, and obviously we've seen something slightly different with team when he won and obviously was injured and wasn't able to back it up kind of before he became injured. Hopefully whatever happens here, we have a new force at the top of the game or several new force at the top of the game that can give us some of the highlights and some of the highs that we've had over the years with the big three. Yeah, and this will be the third year in a row, I suppose, where we have a new US Open men's champion because yes. we had Dominic Team, we had Daniel Medvedev. So it this is the tournament that crowns, I think, a, a debutant, you know, a champion. Chilich in 2014. Um, yeah. So more often than not, uh, you know, it's uh it's it's the one that we get the new champion rather than something like Wimbledon, which obviously has been so dominated and, and Roland Garros, of course, by the respective counterparts. Um let's 
have a quick break now, Chris. Uh, we'll be back shortly in the second half to discuss all of the action from the women's side of the draws and also to do an all-important collector set update. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to our US Open quarterfinal catch-up sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking at the women's draws from the quarters at the US Open. Um, we've had a quarterfinal already today, which has been uh, Sabalenka and Pliskova. Yesterday, we had Onjabor versus Tom Lianovic and we had Caroline Garcia versus Coco Goff. Um I'm going to lead on Caroline Garcia here, Chris, because um, this was the You've one we were to. earmarking. You've got to. <laughs> we have to. 13 straight wins now. Um, this is just continuing her impressive summer. Uh, and I don't really have words. It was so, it's just so nice to see her finally make the semifinals of a Grand Slam. This is the first time she's at this stage. Um, I don't think everyone can quite, like yeah believe that she's finally putting this this sort of form together I know she's won premier titles in the past but to do it at a slam and to do it so seemingly comfortably as well she hasn't dropped a set and we haven't really seen that that kind of usual like nervousness that we get with her game that fragility she's just been all out attack and it's it's great I'm, I'm loving it she just hasn't blinked has she she's just kept hitting the cover off the ball and it feels like the, the big question you have is kind of what was happening in the interim for when she reached world number four? Where Was it like a loss of belief or was it something else? Because I know there's some advice she was given by different coaches to say to kind of rein in her, her shot making because it was a bit Kvitova-like in the sense that sometimes she was making it, sometimes she wasn't. And at times you're going to have off days. But I mean, to handle Coco, who has been playing really well and is one of the best retrievers she moves so quickly and to hit as many winners as she did and to come through the manner that she did in straight sets, I don't think any of us, well, not that we didn't think it would happen, but I think we thought that there would be more in the way, potentially, uh, in the sense of Coco putting up more resistance, but not even the US crowd could cause a problem. In fact, it kind of seemed to give her a bit more of a buzz. And in her press conferences, she sounds so level-headed. Um and it is, it is very Raducanu-esque in many ways, this whole run that she's put together. Now she's on 13, but, you know, she qualified in Cincinnati and then it's, she's just managed to keep going. Um, and I'm not sure that we've had other players who've done well in Cincinnati. Like, I know that Azarenka, when she got to the final and then she lost to, in 2020, then lost to Osaka, she won the title in Cincinnati and, and her form's come through. But not in the same way that Garcia has. She's just dominated um, are you drawing comparisons that are being made between Amy Moresmo and Mary Pierce? Is this a... Oh, well, all of the stats are coming out now, aren't they? <laughs> you know, who was the last French uh, women to get to this stage, um, you know, to make the US Open semifinals? When was the last time we had a French singles Grand Slam champion? Um, not that, that long, was, was it? Barsley. Yeah, not that long. Well, that was, yeah, Barsley at Wimbledon. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, uh, Emily Moresbo and Mary Pierce for the last to get to this stage of the US Open. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to get too ahead of myself, but she is genuinely playing such good the tennis. The best tennis and... in, in the draw. 
I would say. Yes, I would say um, the most sort of convincingly impressive uh, tennis. And, and I mean, Coco Goff, you know, summed it up quite nicely. I thought she just said, you know, because Garcia is so aggressive, like standing on top of the baseline and ripping those balls, she just said it's so hard to adjust to. And, you know, it's you just kind of up against it from the word go. And I mean, Coco Goff went full love down at the start of that match and she managed to get one of the breaks back. But, you know, it was a similar situation in the second set. She instantly went a breakdown and was just never able to make inroads, you know, from from that sort of early deficit. So, um, but what we've normally seen with Garcia, she lets lead slip um, and you're sort of always waiting and expecting that to happen, um, which may be slightly unfair, but we've just seen a lot of that over the years. So it's just refreshing that she's sort of playing with such confidence. And I think that is because she just is going back to kind of her instinct her instinctual way of how she wants to play the game which is to be just don't think about it whatever you do caroline don't think about it do not overthink um and i suppose you could have that motto across your life generally you know don't overthink it don't don't get anxious and overthink everything just you're not at the the us open you're just on a (laughs) tennis court yeah um so i think yeah, I mean, obviously, going into the semi-final, she's got Ona Jabor, who uh, came through against Isla Tomljanovic. Uh, this could have gone to three sets. Tomljanovic was 5-3 up in that second set, but Jabor was able to bring it back, take it in a tie break. Um, I think Tomljanovic was slightly struggling with a with a leg injury as mm. well. But yeah, Ona Jabor hasn't been at her best, but she said at the start of the tournament that she really wanted to get to the, the semi-finals, and that would be like an achievement for her after I guess like the disappointment of of not winning that Wimbledon trophy and so I think she's sort of outdone her own expectations for the tournament so I guess anything from here on in is is kind of a bit of a bonus really um and she's you know she's um she's a tough cookie it's not going to be easy for Garcia even though she is playing incredibly well and I don't know I mean it is the first time Garcia is going to be in a Grand Slam semi. Obviously, Jabor was at that situation at Wimbledon. So I'm still, obviously, I want Garcia to win, but. You're not counting your chickens. I'm not, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to go in expecting anything because Jabor is going to be very, very tricky. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would be a great matchup. I think Jabor, she played a pretty comprehensive first set and the second set. Um, she was kind of putting it together at the start and then she just had one of those sort of mental lapses that she sometimes has. Um, and I think it's impressive that she was able to regroup and bring it back. But I think it was, um, I mean, it was very unusual to see someone serve kind of as badly as she did. Uh, she only had 41% of serves in place. So if she did borrow Serena's serve, she definitely returned it before this match started. <laughs> Uh, Serena only gives it out for one match at well, a maybe time. Maybe that means Serena's playing in Australia if she wants it back. There's a rule. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's obviously great that she's made two quarterfinals in a row. She could be the sort of player where there'll be a lot of variety coming at Garcia's racket. And that might be something that could put her off her, her usual stride in terms of ripping ripping balls. But I think it's going to be a good matchup. They know each other well. And I think they're both in the mindset of enjoy the moment. That's kind of how I see it and see, especially when you play with someone who you know kind of as as well as they do and they're the same age, they've been on the tour for a long time. I think Garcia told a nice anecdote about playing in the semifinals of uh, the French Open in juniors and she said she'd never seen 
anyone hits him any drop shots. So at least nothing's changed there. But um, she'll be ready for it. So lots of experience playing each other. And I think it will be a nice occasion where hopefully it will bring out the best in them both. Um, that's all you can hope for, really, when it comes to players like Onsen, Onsen Garcia. You've got to feel for Tomjanovic, though. She's had such a great tournament, but I think she just keeps getting Grand Slam quarterfinals, but doesn't go up the rankings. I think she said in um, her post-match interview that if Wimbledon had offered points, that she'd be ranked inside the top 25, um, almost in the top 20, which obviously she, that would be a career high for her as well. Um, and so it's this sort of, she's still fighting to to try and be in the top 30. Um, and especially when you aren't getting that sort of payback from your results. I think it's left her with a slightly bittersweet feeling coming out of New York. But it's a, it's a running theme that the ranking points have caused kind of disarray in the draw and in terms of players. But we have to mention how fantastic uh, Tomjanovic's run has been here and how she's backed up with two two quarterfinals in a row. It's, it's really quite an achievement. Yeah, exactly. And I think she said that she sees herself in as a top 20 player. So it's just frustrating that not getting those points from Wimbledon would have elevated her up the rankings and given her, you know, that, that kind of extra temporary security and, and sort of comfort, I guess, of being higher ranks and getting in and seedings and whatnot. So um, it is it is a shame she's one of those players that is quite impacted by the um, the Wimbledon decision, uh, along with a few others. And obviously we were talking earlier about the ramifications for the, for the you know, world number one on the men's side. So it's so just another outcome of that. Not quite um, as big big stakes with the, the top 20 for Alatom Janovic versus the number one of the men's ATP. Yeah. But, um, Kim, I was going to ask you a question. If you had to guess who Ons Jabeur's tennis hero was, if it wasn't Serena Williams, who would you who would you have said? Oh, blimey. Um, Someone with some variety, maybe, potentially. Well, uh, some variety. Yeah, some, someone, I'm trying to think of a crafty player, Suwei Shea or someone well, like that's that. That's a great guess. In fact, it's Andy Roddick. Um, Andy Roddick. Apparently, she said that she used to watch him an awful lot when she was young and has always been her hero. So she got to meet him this week. And um, I think she said she admired his humour on the court, the personality. She loves his serve. Um, I was going to say, does she want to borrow his serve instead of Serena's I think she's just now? trying to nick American serves at this rate, trying to get uh. some of that stuff in. But she, she said, um, she asked him if he was going to be there for the rest of the tournament. And he said yes. So she said that she better keep winning. So I don't want to put this kind of as a, a negative for Garcia, but... With the, the backing of Roddick and this new inspiration from her tennis hero, I mean, is this a bit like when Marion Bartley got the backing of Piers Brosnan at Wimbledon that year? You know, you never know. I was, yeah, I was just thinking that. And uh, I think Andy yeah. Roddick would be quite, well, I think Andy Roddick would be like, would like that analogy because he'd be like, oh, I'm James yeah. Um Yes, it, it's, yeah, that well, I just it, thought, could, I, I, sh- I assume he's there for like tennis. I think he's punditry. working the event. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. He's not just in, in so, a box, but maybe he will for the final. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that might that might put her off. Might put Carolina Garcia mm-hmm. off. Who knows? Does she harbour uh, a sort of, you know, longings <laughs> for Andy Roddick as well? Someone needs to ask her, clearly. The impact <laughs> he had on WTA is much more than we ever could have known. Yeah, well, I mean, Rod- Roddick, actually, I don't know if I've ever re- revealed this on the podcast. Before I... Um, started following Rafa, Roddick was the person that I tended to support. Really? Probably because of all those Wimbledon finals that he should have won. You and Ons both. Yeah. I know. Yeah. 
well jail honestly <laughs> <laughs> um but yes no Jabor Garcia is lined up for tomorrow we've also got Irina Sabalenka in the semi-finals because she came through against Pliskova 6-1-7-6 today um so yeah obviously the first set was pretty much one way second set a lot different um and she got it done yeah on that tie break so a bit more of a straight straightforward win today uh, she'd had previously to come back, uh, you know, against Danielle Collins. Um, but yeah, Sabalenka, her serve firing much better today uh, than it has been. As we know, she's had some real issues with uh, especially double faults this year and uh, her serve. So she definitely made reference to that uh, being a big improvement. But um, yeah, I think it. she's, you know, she was at the semifinals of Wimbledon last year, wasn't she? And we haven't seen her at that stage since. She so hit semis at the US getting... last year. So she's managed to defend. Oh, US last she, year. I she had a strong end of the year last year, I'm pretty sure, for for the two semifinals. Mm. But she's she's backed it up. And I think um, this is unfortunately uh, the moment we have to say that Joel did actually think that she would make it to the semifinals. But um, I was going to say, in case he does listen carefully to this episode, was he still thinking that when she was 6-2, 5-1, down against Kai Kanepi in round two. I I think maybe not, but um but no What yes? What must Kai Kanepi be thinking? Oh, it could have been me or I mean, or I could have done I you mean she failed to do what she normally does, which is upset a top seed. So That's the strength yeah. of Sabalenka. Shocker. She's broken the curse maybe shocker. now. The curse is lifted. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I mean very impressive 6251 now to be in the semi-finals the belief so, i mean i think it, it could free people up and we didn't talk about this with kachanov but it did look like and obviously this is quite early to say an upset but it did look like jack draper was kind of getting the best of him so maybe these yeah. players feel like they've got a second wind i know that kerber won wimbledon from um i think she was match point down uh the year that she won it um in an early round I, so maybe it just yeah. loosens you up but she, it does happen. Yeah. It does happen. It's um each match is different, I guess, and you've got to prepare for it a different way. But the serve was so much better. I mean, it was the thing that got her through this match so so easily, as well as I guess Pliskova not playing her best. But it's a it's a far cry from thirty nine double faults in two matches. Just the three for this, which was less than Pliskova. So that must be um well, I mean reassuring. It must be right <laughs> for her. Yeah, exactly, and. We haven't really seen her play her best tennis, I don't think, in um, some of the later stages of Grand Slams, well, for for a while, as you said. So that would be um, an interesting one because she did have, I think she had some good, she had a good match against Iga early this year on the clay. So if Iga makes it, I'm not saying she will, um, but I think it might make it for a more competitive uh, semi than obviously Pliskova, who did have that famous double bagel in Rome uh, last year. So a good result, but I'm not sure. Are we are we talking about Sabalenka for the title? Oh, I don't see why not, to be honest. But um, it's a big game she has. Yeah, she does have a big game, but it's I don't know. I just yeah, I feel like less emotionally connected to everyone else because obviously with with Garcia, I feel like it's such a force behind her. So I feel like destiny is not sending me towards Sabalenka for the mm. title. However, I appreciate that means absolutely nothing to the world of tennis. And that's just my like personal mindset. So. 
it's getting late Chris what am I saying I don't know where I'm going with that but um I hope our listeners understand I mean she does have to get she does have to get past either Shrontek or Jesse Pagula they're due to play tonight yes so they'll be kicking off in just over an hour um Shrontek not being at her best Pagula very consistent can she get that win over over the world number one I've I'm still undecided. I was undecided in our last podcast. I'm still undecided about this one. If Shrontek was in her usual form, I'd be like, oh, no way, Pagula's got a chance. But I, I yeah, I do think Pagula's got a shot there. I do think she could do it. I, I was thinking about um Iga earlier today and I thought, do you remember when she won that French Open the first time? She started every match so quickly. And I think it was just like, it was a very clear mindset. And Raducanu did this a bit at the US Open last year. But Iga came out and played her biggest game in the first set. And I think we've, she's kind of lost that mentality of starting super mm. strong and then continuing and maybe withdrawing slightly, kind of reining it in because it's hard to keep that sort of level up. But she doesn't seem to be going on and having those sort of like signature starts where she does almost... Uh, any seed of hope someone might have at playing her, she's not able to kind of dampen in that in that first set anymore. So I think for her to do well in this match, I think she's really got to take it on um, and bring that same energy that she has done previously because uh, with Pagula, I think if you let her play, and we did talk about this, then she's a very competent player who could put together some good results. But I think it will take Eager not being on song or not playing at her best level for Pagula to be able to get past her. Is that is that a fair take? Do we think? I would say so. Yeah, I think if Shrontek's f- fully on song, um, Pagula, yeah, would I think it'd be a com- commendable effort. But I, uh, yeah, if Shrontek's on, I think she's got it. But we haven't seen the best of her. So going on recent form, I, you know, is she likely to bring it? She's obviously capable, but. Yeah, it's uh, up in the air. So that's why I'm I'm really quite undecided of this one. It's probably going to be a whitewash now. If <laughs> you've said that double bagel, maybe it's, the bakery's back yeah, open. Li- the bakery will we? It did will just be back it open. did just reopen at the end of her last match, right? It did. Nehemiah had a lovely, uh, <laughs> lovely bit of bread. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's let's have a look uh, then. So tomorrow we do have the women's uh, semi-finals. Um, keep thinking it's friday tomorrow it's not it's thursday um so still waiting on the exact schedule for all of those uh but let's have a quick look at what's going on in the doubles because we do have two brits in the doubles the men's doubles uh joe salisbury and, and rajiv ram they are going to be up against cabal and farah and then um neil skupski with wes Kulhoff. they are up against aravalo and roger so they um are due to also be playing tomorrow. So hopefully we can get two Brits in the final. And on the women's side of the doubles, uh, Garcia actually did lose her quarterfinal oh, with Mladenovic. Does that affect the renaissance? No, no I think okay. a little bit of doubles. Yeah, a little bit of doubles is all right to you know focus on. But too much, you might get tired, so it's all good. Um, but we've got a Melika... Oh, Melikar got married. She's Melikar Martinez now. Um, and Perez with Krachikova and Sinyakova in one semi. And Dolhide and Sanders, they're going to be playing, well, potentially McNally or Townsend. Sorry, McNally, Townsend or Krojic and Schurz. So few Americans in there for the home crowd. And then 
yeah, mixed doubles. We're still kind of getting to the semi-final stage and uh, all the Brits are out. But I've currently got a bit of Jack Sock and Leila Fernandez on the on the telly. So uh, they're in action against Sanders and Piers. But we'll touch base with all the, the doubles results in our next episode. Um, but that does bring us, Chris, to just a little collector oh, set update. No, before we I don't think part. this is going to be good for me. Is anyone doing well, so, Kim? We do have two people who are potentially on to get three correct guesses, which would be the winning amount. Um, so big shout out to Lee um, at Underarm A. So Lee, we know Lee, tennis on telly. Um, but <laughs> uh, and also Joanna Reiter is potentially on to get three. So it all depends on Carlos Alcaraz and Caroline Garcia for the final results. So a um, couple of people are completely out. Uh, I'm potentially on for two. Joel's already got two. Oh, and you're potentially on for two as well, Chris. So we could all tie. But do I want to get two is the question. Oh, you've got Garcia as the finalist. So do you want that to be a W? I want that to instead? be a W. That's a tricky one. Oh. What, what, what does yours hinge on? Your... Oh, Carlos Alcaraz would need to lose tonight. Oh, that's getting confusing. Yeah. Right, okay. I'd rather so... I'd, I'd rather that happened and you got two than um, a Garcia a Garcia final. Yeah, I think if you're going to get to the final, you want to go all the way, don't yeah. you? So no one had picked Caroline Garcia to win. Uh, there were two people that picked her in the final. You were one of them. You weren't one of them, Kim. So, no, I said round three. <laughs> I had her going out to... Had Admire, I think oh, it should okay. have been. Um, yeah, something like that. Or was it... Yeah, or Andrescu. Well, yes, but I had thought had ah. I would have beaten Andrescu, but yeah, obviously that's turned out differently. So, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll uh, I'll post this on our inst uh, on our Twitter and uh, we'll do a full update uh, after the finals. But I think that brings us to a close for our quarterfinal catch up. Um, I think next time round it will be yourself and Joel who will have returned Indeed. from his his uh, trip abroad. Um, I'm due to be going off to Wales for the Lovely. weekend. So, uh, yeah, and uh, you've kindly stepped in. So I'm I'm going to try and get some Welsh rain and <laughs> uh, breath and whatnot uh, in <laughs> over the weekend. Um, but yes, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Do join us uh, for our next episode for all the semi-final catch-up action. Um but in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Tennis Weekly on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on social media and email the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. It's at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website at www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And as I said, we'll be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the semi-final action. So I hope you can join uh, Joel and Chris then. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And we will see you again soon. 